Hi there, and welcome to the Nerds of Business podcast. My name is Darren Moffat. I'm a director at WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency, and I'm your host. It's great to have you with us for episode five of the product development series. If you're new to this podcast, our mission is to help entrepreneurs crack the code to growth in their own ventures. And we do it by solving the key challenges that all businesses must overcome one problem at a time. We're now about halfway through our product development series. And so far we've looked at ideation, how to validate an idea, product planning, and of course, prototyping. But what happens when all the hard work of product development is beginning to pay off and you're convinced that your startup, new brand or innovation is set to be a winner. How do you protect your awesome idea from competitors who might want to copy or even steal it altogether? The topic of intellectual property, or IP for short, is something that many entrepreneurs fail to consider. Even those who do often leave the paperwork until the last minute and tragically forfeit their rights to legal protection. And this can be a seriously costly error. If you're lucky, you might only scare off investors and lose promising business opportunities. In extreme cases, you could find yourself the target of litigation or even miss out on a vast potential fortune that was otherwise yours for the taking. In fact, history is littered with patent disputes. Thomas Edison, who in 1879 invented the electric light bulb, is regarded by some as a patent troll. He famously held 1,093 different patents and was tied up in litigation for much of his life. When ideas are so good, they can change the destiny of inventors, investors, and even sometimes humankind itself, it's no wonder that companies go to war. And as you're about to hear in our opening story, the outcome of such conflict can shake the fortunes of even the biggest brands in the world. The year is 2018 when two tech giants go into battle. In a surprise ambush, the company BlackBerry sues Facebook for patent infringement. Ten years earlier, BlackBerry had been a dominant force in the nascent market of smartphones. But by 2015, BlackBerry is a shadow of its former self, and Apple has long since become the victor in that market with its iconic iPhone product. BlackBerry retreats to pivot towards a new future as a tech provider in security applications and the Internet of Things. But with their long history in telecommunications, they've amassed a large bank of valuable electronic messaging patents. And in a company of that size, internal resources will always be deployed towards monitoring the market for potential infringements. In 2018, BlackBerry alleges Facebook is infringing on some of those earlier patents by using its messaging technologies in WhatsApp, Messenger and Instagram. These include techniques that streamline notifications, the display of timestamps in a messaging chain and giving users the freedom to more easily switch between playing games and messaging. Facebook file a countersuit and they argue that the disputed BlackBerry patents are invalid 
claiming that BlackBerry's patents show no inventive concept and add nothing of substance to the underlying idea. The dispute rolls on for several years through various courts, with BlackBerry failing to gain traction in any of the multiple legal hearings. Just when all looks lost for BlackBerry, there is a sudden turn of events. After nearly three years and millions of dollars expended in legal fees, in December 2020, BlackBerry has a key win over Facebook. It changes the momentum of the case and brings Facebook to the negotiating table for the first time. In January 2021, the parties finally reach a settlement. Although the terms are not publicly disclosed, BlackBerry's share price instantly rises an astonishing 20% on the back of the news, which all goes to show that intellectual property can be very lucrative for companies who invest in the right protection. The conclusion of the BlackBerry Facebook case is literally breaking as we go to air. The rise in the BlackBerry share price shows that the market clearly thinks that BlackBerry got the better end of this particular dispute. It certainly appears to validate the value of patents as a risk mitigation strategy. But in a remarkable coincidence, BlackBerry also just completed an unrelated transaction that illustrates another way IP protection can add value to a business as an asset to be traded. It's just sold 90 of its old smartphone patents to Chinese telco Huawei, boosting its market capitalization to an all-time high. Now, you may not realize it, but regardless of the industry in which you operate, it's quite likely your business has already developed some form of intellectual property. Have you done enough to realise the full potential of your brand or technology? Or are you at risk of competitive threat? And if so, what can you do about it? I love data. I love kind of looking through the data. You need to have systems. You need to have structure. You're going to get chopped to pieces. Enthusiasm is... Unstoppable. We kind of hit a point where we were like, we need another leader. Drown yourself with people who are smarter than you and richer than you. <laughs> this is Nerds of Business. We'll start the show in a minute, but first, a word from our sponsor. Hi everyone, it's Ben Carew here. I'm a director at WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency. I work alongside the host of this podcast, Darren Moffat. If you're a business owner who wants to grow, but you don't have the spare funds to invest in marketing right now, you're not alone. Since COVID hit, we've noticed more clients suspending campaigns or delaying their marketing altogether due to cash flow issues. In response to this, we developed a solution called Buy Now, Pay Later Digital Marketing. It provides eligible small businesses with nothing to pay on SEO, digital marketing and website development for up to three months. We think it's perfect for entrepreneurs who need a helping hand getting sales flowing again. I'll be back later in the show to explain how it works, but if you can't wait, you can download a free info pack now at webbuzz.com.au slash bnpl. That stands for buy now, pay later. That's webbuzz.com.au slash bnpl. All systems operational. 
So the title of today's episode and the problem we're trying to solve is the IP conundrum, when or even if to protect your business with patents and trademarks. Now, I'll admit at first blush, uh, this topic might seem you know, really quite esoteric. Certainly, it's rarely discussed openly in public forums, such as a podcast like this. But we're about to change that. I hope this episode will go some way towards demystifying intellectual property for the average business owner. And I think you'll actually be quite shocked at some of what you're about to hear. I was very surprised to discover how polarizing this topic is. The top entrepreneurs and business leaders I spoke with for this episode held strongly divergent views on the value of intellectual property protection. It's a controversial issue. So to get you some definitive answers, today we're breaking with our usual format to bring in a wider selection of guests. You'll hear from a leading patent attorney, one of our product design experts, several entrepreneurs, and for the first time on Nerds of Business, a venture capitalist. If you're an Australian listener, we'll also touch on some huge changes coming in patent law that could affect your business. But first, here's just a quick reminder that if you're enjoying Nerds of Business, to please hit the subscribe button on your podcast player. It means you'll automatically receive each new episode every fortnight, and it makes it easier for us to stay in touch. Our first guest today is Chris Baxter, founder and chairman of Baxter IP. They're a leading firm of patent attorneys in Australia, and if you're a startup or venture that needs some intellectual property protection, then you should be talking with someone like Chris. I began by asking him, what exactly is a patent attorney? So pa patent attorneys are really sort of strange beasts. Uh, most I know are pretty obsessive compulsive because <laughs> you need to be to do this type of work properly. Uh, we're kind of uh, quasi uh, lawyers and engineers and scientists by background. So we study a master's in intellectual property law uh, and all of us either have an engineering or, or, or science degree. Uh, that enables us to uh, listen to a whole range of different clients about their ideas and concepts and inventions and understand them uh, and then uh, try to uh, define those uh, ideas in words clearly and with diagrams and uh, to try and help uh, clients obtain protection for them. Uh, the really interesting thing there straight away is that for those people who aren't aware of um, the notion or the concept of patent attorneys is, is the engineering background. That's something that really um, is a prerequisite really in, in this game, isn't it? You know, because you've got to, you're, you're the bridge, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to use a very tortured analogy here, but you, you guys are kind of the bridge between, you know, the tech and the, and the idea and, and, and all of the sort of engineering behind it and the legal system. Would that be a fair description? Yeah, yeah, perfectly said. So I think, you know, before we go sort of more deeply into this, I think we just need to be really clear for our listeners. Uh, what comprises the, the notion of intellectual property? So, you know, there are a couple of main types, you know, of, of, yes. uh, of, of uh, concepts here. Uh, so maybe if you give us a breakdown on that, that might be a good place to start. Sure thing. So the, the whole span of intellectual property fits into two, two broad categories, registered intellectual property and unregistered intellectual property. Registered IP includes patents, 
uh, registered trademarks and registered designs and unregistered trade uh, IP, trade secrets, uh, copyright, uh, know-how, that type of thing. So uh, what a patent and trademark attorney does is is work with uh, largely the registered side of intellectual property, so patents, trademarks, and registered designs. Yeah, great. And um, here's, here's a, um, a free kick, so to speak. Um, yeah. Why is registering your IP so important for a business? That is a free kick. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. So look, a few a few different reasons. Uh, the first is it allows uh, small companies to compete with uh, large corporations because, say, you're a, a small company, you've uh, developed some sort of uh, improvement or uh, iteration to an existing product and, and want to sort of uh, get it out there, make some money. Well, uh, larger larger companies that are well resourced uh, can uh, quickly copy those innovations and so encroach on the uh, that market you would have been able to be able to uh, have it have achieved by selling the innovative product and so what a patent does is allows small businesses to and startups uh, to protect their difference uh, and then uh, IP is also uh, very important in uh, valuation of businesses their intangible assets uh, and just from a practical perspective can be quite helpful in capital raising because uh, venture capitalists uh, uh, like to see payments in place in relevant uh, business models. So, yeah, I think that's a really important point, obviously, um, for investors. You know, if there are startups or small businesses out there and they're seeking capital from outside investors, then those investors uh, want peace of mind. You know, they want to know that the the technology or the idea or whatever is protected. Um, it shows a, like a professional approach to understanding what you have and what you've developed uh, and, and the importance of your intellectual property. Uh, and uh, there's also a bit of an insurance policy for uh, VCs and angels. If something doesn't work out in the execution of the business model, then there's uh, still something there that, uh, might be sold or licensed. So that's perhaps the orthodox view by a highly experienced and respected practitioner in the field. And you'll hear Chris share some really valuable tips a little later in the show. But now I want you to consider the dissenting view. This is where things get super interesting. Ben Thompson is the founder of Employment Hero, a complete people, payroll and benefit solution for small to medium-sized businesses. Uh, They run a SaaS model with uh, over 5,000 paying B2B clients, collectively managing over 300,000 employees. And they've raised over $30 million in capital and all without any formal IP protection. Ben himself is a seasoned entrepreneur and investor, which makes his position on this all the more startling. Now, you know, you've obviously developed a lot of unique intellectual property with Employment Hero. Um, I'm really keen to hear more about that. You know, uh, intellectual property is really important, maybe even crucial for tech platforms and SaaS businesses. Tell us about, you know, how you protected your intellectual property and 
and why that's been so important for, for your business? This probably isn't the answer you're expecting. Um, we haven't, you know, other than copyright, you know, so our code is copyrighted. Everything's naturally copyrighted. Yeah. We haven't gone out and got patents or trademarks um, okay. to protect our features and functionality. Um, in fact, I, 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 I disagree with the, the question. I actually think that the, the – um, I actually think that the planet is moving so rapidly now that the, you don't protect what you've already built. You actually have to build something that no one else has built. Like you have to actually be out in front. The pace of innovation within an organisation is the most important indicator of their success. Mm-hmm. If they build something and just sit on it, the world would just go around them. Like yep. it just go, it's just happening so fast. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, it's all about how rapidly can we iterate, how rapidly can we innovate, and how quickly can we deliver on opportunities to help people. Um, yeah, protecting what we've built five years ago isn't isn't the big issue. Well, you heard it here first, people. Uh, and sort of uh, Ben Thompson's putting um, patent attorneys out of work. Um, there's no need to protect your IP. Um, uh, look, I mean, I, I think that's that's obviously a, a contrarian viewpoint. Um, I can totally see the argument for that. I, I think it, my view would it kind of depends on the industry you're in and the product you've got. You know, um, but. Uh, your point is, is more that I, I think it, it's interesting. It kind of goes back to that original uh, genesis of the business that you disrupted yourself. So in the sense that you've disrupted yourself, I would imagine then that it seems to me that there's very much a culture in your business of continual transformation, continual disruption, so that you're always meeting the market and staying ahead of competitors. Would that be right? Uh, yeah. it's our, our mantra is you know, we know what our mission is to make employment easier and more rewarding – how we do that is to go and dig as deep as possible into the fundamental principles of what we're doing, mm-hmm. first principles, design from there up to build a better solution, something that's 10 times better than what somebody else has done before. Yep. And, and, and constantly do that, constantly. The faster we can do that, the better. Now, I think you might agree, Ben's argument is a powerful one and it's clearly worked for his business. His thinking is closely echoed by another one of our guests. Carrie Peters is product design principal at Sydney agency Us2. She's designed for the likes of Nike and ClassPass, and she's a leading exponent of human-centred design. She's also one of our two product design experts for this series. I asked Carrie if she thinks it's important for startups to protect their idea. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, People actually ask me about this a lot, or... Potentially, like the, a conversation I've had many times is someone will come to me and they'll say, hey, I've got an idea. Oh, that's just not. And I, I want to know what you think. And I'll be like, okay, yeah, tell me. Tell me. And then they say, but you can't steal it. <laughs> and the pain that I feel when they say that, um, not because I think they don't trust me, but because I think um, I just know the blood, sweat, and tears that go into actually making an idea a reality, it's so huge. I like, I don't have a child, but I liken it to what it would be like to to say, hey, I want to have a baby. Yeah. And then you thinking that I'm going to steal your baby because you want it. It's, I, I don't want to raise your child for 20 years. You know, I, it's not my baby, so I don't, I don't want yeah. it. Um, a, an idea, a, a, a startup is literally, if you, 
if you create a digital app, it is your child for 20 years. You have to do maintenance on it and iterate on it. Like I said before, it's a living, breathing thing mm. for that until it ends. It doesn't, you know, until the day that you decide you're pulling it out of the app store, the day you want to, you know, sunset the thing, it's alive and you're going to pour money and like all of your energy into it. So in my opinion, you really don't need to protect your ideas because the, the thought that anyone else cares as much as you do about your idea is preposterous. Um, having said that there are moments in, in technology specifically where suddenly there's new innovation that just happens really quickly. And if you have a concept or an idea that that's related specific to that tech, that piece of tech or connecting a couple pieces of tech, um, then I think it's probably worth looking at IP. Um, but again, those ideas are not so much about like uh, consumer ideas they're usually more around like how am I going to use this technology to, to do this thing and um, then yeah then I would look at IP mm, so far so confusing maybe as they say when in doubt follow the money so what does a venture capitalist think about the need for IP protection venture capitalists or VC as they're known are a key source of funding mentorship and networks in the startup ecosystem Often they're run by ex-entrepreneurs themselves and the investment they make into early stage companies on behalf of their investors certainly give them plenty of skin in the game. Emlyn Scott is the co-founder of CP Ventures. CP Ventures have been recognised as a leading VC for early stage companies and they were one of the top funds in 2019 globally. You'll be hearing a lot more from Emlyn later in the series, but for now, listen to him explain the VC perspective on the vexed question of IP protection. So there's a number of schools of thought about whether IP is really that important or not, and there's many forms of IP. So everything from the formal patent side to, you know, kind of the secret source, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken, what spices are you using kind of thing. Um, so for us, when we look at a business, it'll be another check if they've, been, they've managed to either get a patent or they've put a patent in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not crucial for us. What we want to know is the problem that they're solving is just really, really hard to solve. And there's not many people literally on the planet that can solve it. Um, so that's probably a part of IP, that knowledge, that training. It might be the networks they've got. It's, it's, there's a whole lot of things that go into it. If there is something patentable and they haven't patented it, then we'll ask, why haven't you? Usually they'll have a pretty good reason. We just want to know that they haven't put it on the back burner and not considered it. We want to know that they've had a considered business decision for why they've either got it, got a patent or they don't have a patent and what the IP around the business. And why is it really crucial? Because we want barriers to entry. I want to know that when this is starting to look obvious that these guys are breaking you know, new ground, that they're not going to have a whole lot of copycats chasing them. And AI is a really good thing for that because AI, you, know, you need to train the engines, you need the data. So if a business is six or 12 months against a competitor, they're always playing chase up to get the equivalent data. And even then they won't be able to use the data in the same way. So, so, and in the world of VC, everything moves really fast. So if you're, you know, you're in this market and it's, it's going and you're raising, you know, raising capital and it's moving, they're getting chased. And so this gives you that level of um, – it makes it more difficult for other businesses to chase and raise capital because the investors will be more nervous yeah. of putting something in that could potentially be challenged later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Um, and, you know, 
I'm I'm sure that it's different for each business or different types of businesses. But as a VC, when do you want to see um, a startup get a patent? You know, like so Mm. if they don't have one at the start, as you've just mentioned, like when, when, when should it come? It should come very early because as soon as it's gone out with it, you can't get your patent anymore because it's public knowledge. So we want it to have been considered. But there's stages of being able to do that. So you can put provisional patents in. You could at least talk to a patent lawyer and and make sure you've got freedom to operate to make sure no one else has got a patent in your area. I mean, there's nothing worse than putting money into something and you think you're the the leader in it and someone else has gone, no, I've had that idea first, sorry. So they're just sort of protections around it um, and being risk adverse to some extent and a bit of due diligence. Um, So it should be done fairly early. Where it gets really difficult is patents take a lot of time and they also cost a lot, especially international patents. So you can do it by starting kind of in Australia and then look to expand it post the raise. But again, we want to know that the businesses have thought about this and that they've spoken to a good patent lawyer. And if they haven't, we'll do those introductions for them. Okay. And how often in your experience is some degree of problem with intellectual property uh, for the startup a deal breaker? Uh, it has been a deal breaker for us previously. Um, I'm, and I'm, I'm thinking of one business right now where they messed up their patent um, and they, they could have had a global patent and for the sake of money, they didn't get the US component. Um, and that was ne- on, in our DD, we found that and, and that was nearly a deal breaker for us because, you know, we wanted this thing to roll out globally. What saved it was that they had other things that they could patent and they would then be doing that in the US. So they wouldn't have that component of it. But, it, you know, we weren't happy, that's for sure. We weren't happy. That's uh, <laughs> listeners, uh, budding entrepreneurs or people, startups uh, going to raise capital. The last thing you want is an unhappy VC, <laughs> not a good start. Right, so VCs generally want to see IP protection in place so they can protect their investment. And if the startup founders haven't done that, they want a pretty compelling reason as to why not. We heard Emlyn touch on what's called a provisional patent, which can be a cheap way for startups to commence the patent process. Let's go back to our patent attorney guest, Chris from Baxter IP, for some more detail on the types of patents available. And it turns out there are some big changes coming for Australian business owners. Yeah, there's a, there's a number of different types of uh, patent applications and there's also a jurisdictional uh, aspect to patent protection in that to obtain patent protection in any given country, ultimately you need to make a patent filing there. So um, some of these different types of patents that exist are uh, exist to help you uh, uh, sort of expand your protection into the international market in a more cost-effective way. So let me talk to that. The typical international patenting process starts with a provisional patent application. That establishes a priority date, uh, like a first filing date, a stake in the, stake in the sand uh, on your idea, and that lasts for 12 months. During that period, you then either need to file a patent application in the countries where you want to pursue protection, or you can file this thing called a PCT international patent application. And that will reserve your right to file into foreign countries with a a couple of exceptions for another 18 months. So 
by filing a provisional patent application, then a PCT international patent application, you can buy yourself two and a half years before you have to go to the expense of filing in the final set of countries that you want to file in. Uh, now, there's another sort of uh, second tier of patent protection in Australia and some other countries. In Australia, it's called an innovation patent. Broadly, it fits into the category of what's called a ut utility model overseas. Uh, and typically, they have a, a lower threshold uh, sort of test to obtain patent protection. Now, in Australia, the innovation patent is uh, near the end of its life, unfortunately. Um, oh, okay. What's going on there? Uh, yeah, the uh, the government's abolishing it uh, uh, for reasons uh, uh, that don't make a lot of sense to me or, or our uh, profession because it's an incredibly uh, useful tool for small businesses uh, to obtain some protection where they otherwise may not have met the uh, requirements for standard patent protection. Uh, and that's happening uh, this year. So let's just sort of pause for a second there, Chris, because that's obviously a big change. I, I, I was, I've lodged innovation patents in the past and I wasn't, yes. I wasn't aware that uh, that was ending. Um, so is, is there a regime that's going to replace that or is it just, it's just defaulting back down to the standard patent application? Uh, yeah, the latter, unfortunately. Oh, right. Um, yeah, no, it's it's difficult to understand. I think where IP Australia's and sort of the government's coming from is that uh, the innovation patent ended up also being a very useful litigation tool. Mm -hmm. And so as much as they were filed by <coughs> uh sort of startups and entrepreneurs seeking some sort of second tier level of patent protection. They've also been used a lot by uh, large companies as very aggressive litigation tools. And I think there's some contention around that. Right. Okay. So if you've got a new product idea or innovation, by this stage, you might be wondering if it's patentable. I asked Chris from Baxter IP what the legal threshold is. And you'll hear him explain some really important patent principles that all entrepreneurs should understand. That's nerdy. You've awakened the nerd bot, right? Like are you, so you, you, you mentioned some, some jargon there, Chris. Uh-oh. Uh, and, and the nerd bot just loves jargon, right? So <laughs> I, th I think it was inventive step and novelty. Yes. So you might just want to break that down for our listeners. <laughs> nice one. Uh, so there are two oh, there there are a few requirements to have a patent application granted, and common requirements in different countries around the world. The first is that what you're claiming needs to be patentable subject matter. Sorry, there's some more jargon. I'll explain that in a minute. Wow. Uh, but it also needs to be new, and it also needs to comprise this thing we call an inventive step. Okay. So let me just talk through those three requirements really quickly. Um, so in terms of patentable subject matter, uh, we, uh, that goes to the invention needs to be sort, sort of uh, something that is made by humans. It's not a discovery. It's not a sort of just a, uh, a mental idea that has no practical commercial application. Um, the novelty of requirement 
And novelty is just a fancy patent attorney word for newness. <clears throat> Basically means what you're claiming really does need to be new. And that's a, that's a global test. Mm-hmm. The, uh, there needs to be in your claim at least one feature or combination of features that has not been uh, done or not been, it's not publicly known anywhere around the world. And the third requirement, inventive step, uh, oh, the, the legal test for it is that the uh, that feature that is novel uh, is also not obvious to someone who's skilled in the art. So, <laughs> so we're just going deeper and deeper here, aren't we? Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's very nerdy. I'm loving it. <laughs> Basically, it means to someone who's familiar with that type of product or technology, uh uh, it, it it's, can't be obvious. Got it. Yep. Uh, and so, that, obviously, that's a pretty su- su- subjective test. Excuse the pun. Um, and uh, and that's where your patent attorney comes in uh, in arguing with IP Australia or the patent office in another jurisdiction around uh, the inventiveness of their client's idea. So what does patent protection offer in a practical sense to small and medium-sized business? Dr. Wei Xin Lai is the founder of Acoustic Sheep. Acoustic Sheep is an electronics company based in Pennsylvania in the US that produces the brilliant Sleep Phones product. Now, if you can visualize a soft aerobics type headband with tiny speakers inside, that's what it is. Sleep Phones allow you to listen to music in bed via Bluetooth as you go to sleep. Dr. Lai and her husband, Jason Wolf reveal when and how they enforce patent protection and why strong branding has also played such a key role in defending their business against copycats. Yeah, so uh, initially when we came up with the whole idea uh, and then he came up with the uh, Sleep Phones brand name, uh, we thought, you know, I can't believe nobody's invented this before. Uh, right. (laughs) Same, same same thing you said at the beginning, this is such an obvious idea uh, and it's such an obvious name. And in fact, one of our first customers, we had just put up our website, sleepphones.com and we were still populating it. It was, there was no buy button. There was no like anything. All we had, no advertising, nothing. All we had was our email address at the bottom. And he like emailed me because he's like, how do I buy this? And I was like, how in the world did you even find us? And he said, well, I just typed in sleepphones.com because it seemed like a natural name. And we, for we, something we like put this. a lot of thought into that. We wanted to have a name that just very clearly communicated what the product was. Right. And, and you know, we still had misunderstanding. Like some folks thought it was a phone here and there, but I, I think <laughs> we did the best we could. And it has served us. It's, it's probably been a, a pretty big part of how a accessible part of our success. Is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's unquantifiable or there's no way to quantify it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a short, nice name, not too cutesy. Uh, and it, it's very straightforward. I, you know, those are important qualities. Uh, but, but yes, yeah, so from there, um, I guess, uh, the, um, the question was about protecting <laughs> the IP, the, um, oh, the IP, right. <laughs> um, and so we came up with the sleep phones name and then, um, uh, we, we thought that, this is quite unique. Uh, and as soon as we put our website up, so, so we, you know, sewed our first prototype around Christmas and then we started sewing some more, um, uh, by the summer, uh, the following year, uh, in 2007. And that's when we decided, okay, well, 
this is really interesting. I, I find nothing on the internet that's similar to this. Um, so let's at least uh, look into trademarking it and patenting this. And so we contacted uh, a patent lawyer, um, decided to set up a company, uh, trademarked it, you know, all of that type of stuff. And that can get expensive, but at least initially, um, it was just a few thousand dollars, which, you know, may seem daunting, but at least to us, because we were both high earners at the time, we could afford it. Um, and we saw the value of it pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and then we put up the name and somebody came to us immediately. <laughs> right. And so that was market validation already. That was very, very quick. anecdotal. But but yeah. yeah. Right. And so then when you say um, someone came to you, what do you mean? They came to you they're wanting wanting to buy the name or what? what yeah, happened there? Well, no, wanting wanting to buy our product. Just organically looking for the for something that did what oh, we yes. had. Yes, yes, yeah. Okay. Our first customer just typed in sleepphones.com and and you know emailed us. And that was probably we probably took that as pretty strong validation at the time. It was pretty, right. probably pretty darn lucky that that someone was searching in that particular way for it. Yeah. And and so then we decided to. Um, just sew some more and uh and it was pretty easy at the time to set up paypal to just kind of take payments and stuff yeah. like that and so then people started coming and then soon after uh people were writing and saying this is incredible i've been able to uh, come off of sleeping pills after taking them for 10 years uh i can finally sleep next to my snoring husband it saved my marriage um all kinds of really, really positive glowing reviews. And so that's that was the market validation that we had to know, okay, we need to invest in at least protecting it. And whether or not we can have a successful company, I don't know. Uh, but but you know, if if it does become something, at least let's let's put up a little bit of cash up front to and, protect and, it. And I, I still think we were pretty sober about interpreting that, you know, and, and pretty cautious about interpreting that. Though ultimately it didn't matter because we just had hit upon something that was that we didn't have to worry about too much, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And so you've so got. Start- sorry. Oh, uh, so we certainly have some patents uh, for this, but I think even more important, probably for your product developers, is uh, the if you're going to build a brand, you you really need to have that strong branding and trademark, and you need to protect that. That's going to be be fairly aggressive about it. Yeah. And that's going to be, that's going to carry you much, much further than trying to protect some patent and then trying to have to sue people who copy off of you. Just you know, build a strong brand. You do have to have a strong company for that and strong products and push it out there. And then, and then you can, you know, uh, harvest the, the demand for that brand. And you probably can't take too long at that. Can't, can't leave that sit forever. You've got to build a brand. You've got to, you've, yeah, that, that's in a sense your... Uh, well, it's the defensive moat, isn't it? You know, like you build build that brand. Um, there's a famous book um, by Peter Thiel um, that you might have uh, read, yeah. and um, uh, he he talks about defensive moats and the, the power of branding and so on. Once you've got that brand, if, particularly if you're the major brand in in the category, and you guys have essentially created an, a whole new category, which is fabulous, um, then it is the it is the best effective protection. So, have to that point, have you seen many sort of you know cheap rip off imitators of the product? Have you have you seen people try to to replicate your product? Um, you know, so uh, sort of product so called product piracy here and there, but I wouldn't say particularly well in most cases. Yeah, yeah, um, it's. They, they say that it's flattery, right? When somebody copies your product. Yep. And 
you know, it still makes me mad. (laughs) 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 Um, I don't need to be flattered. (laughs) So, um, but uh, we, you know, we, we're not happy about some of the knockoffs that are out there. Um, But at the same time, we know that we have the strongest brand uh, and a lot of the knockoffs, you know, kind of latch on to our coattails and use our branding. uh, And there, there, we had some knockoffs that, even copied like our colors um and on our packaging uh we had some stripes uh like pajama stripes kind of a stripe pattern Mm -hmm. they copied that uh in exactly the same colors uh we have a sheep and then we say um you know sleep bones and pajamas for your ears they have a polar bear with uh you know their name and then whatever slogan they have you know, it's it's just so blatant. And, and yet the folks <laughs> who do that generally aren't positioned to approach the level of quality, it seems. So oh, they're, they're definitely not. It does make not. us look good. Yeah, so absolutely. I'm not as concerned about it. Yeah, the quality can't compare. And so that I think that's kind of the biggest differentiator. And because we do invest in the quality and it might cost us a little bit more to make our products, mm-hmm. our, we can charge more. And so our profit margin still is going to be higher than something that sells for much less, but you know, they, they have a, a lower profit margin. And so, yeah. you know, if you look at, and you know, one of the consolation things that one of our advisors told us was that, you know, if you look at the entire market, you're still making most of the profit. So, we're like, okay, all right, that that's okay. And, and you know, that <laughs> model of capitalization doesn't lend itself to these iterative uh, improvement cycles that, that we can take advantage of. And I think that's kind of how we got to where we are or a big part of it. Um, these are cheap knockoffs. Have you had to sort of fire off some legal letters? You know, have, have you you gone down that path yet? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, on occasion. Uh, when it makes sense financially to do so, and we've won every case. Yep. Um, and, you know, a lot of them are pretty simple takedown requests uh, that you can just file through, say, eBay or Alibaba or something like that. Yep. Um, it's important. It's important to stay on top of it. Yeah, well, it's, you know, in order to protect your trademark or your copyrighted images, you have to go after it. Otherwise, you lose the ability to go after it later on. Sure. If, you know, if too many people are using your trademark, you lose that exclusivity. Yeah. So there's obviously got to be some sort of process in your company, I would imagine, of, of yes. monitoring the market and seeing what's going on and constantly sort of checking and, yeah. Okay, Absolutely. well, that's, no, that's very valuable for our listeners. Thanks for that. And to further explore the practicalities, I asked Chris from Baxter IP, what are some of the biggest mistakes he sees startups and entrepreneurs making around IP. He also reveals the true cost of international patents, which, as you'll hear, is pretty staggering. Well, I, I guess uh, outside the mistake of uh, coming to see that patent attorney and uh, telling them about uh, the website that they put up a year and a half ago. <laughs> ah, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's probably the most common, uh, to be honest. But then the the other is probably not finding the right balance in budget, mm-hmm. uh, going uh, too hard or not hard enough. So uh, the, the patent patent costs sort of uh, iterate upwards, and uh, so they start low, uh, and uh, and then later in the process the, the costs are higher, which of course works well for startups so long as uh, you've got sort of some revenue kicking in around the two-year point, uh, or revenue or, or capital uh, raised. 
Uh, but you've got to sort of, and we try and be really transparent with our clients. In fact, out of the, the first meeting we do uh, with them, we, we explain the cost for the whole process. And what is that cost, Chris? Can you give us a rough idea? Yeah, sure. So the, so this, let's break it into three stages just to make things really simple. Call it the provisional stage, the first 12 months, mm-hmm. uh, in which people are typically filing a provisional patent application and getting a search done. So that provisional patent application cost will range somewhere from a bit under $5,000 for a really simple idea, uh, right up, well, you know, we've done some really substantial patents the size of university thesis, so they, they do sort of range right upwards, but typically uh, between sort of a bit under $5,000 uh, to $15,000 okay. uh, for something that's quite complex. Yep. Uh, software patents uh, also tend to be a little bit more. Uh, and then the second stage of the uh, process, uh, which is the PCT International patent application, uh, typically we advise clients, which is the next 18 months. So that combined with the provisional process will take you two and a half years into the process, into the patenting process. Yep. Uh, we recommend budgeting twenty dollars to $25,000 for that next 18 months. And then finally, in the third stage, you're filing patent applications in each country where you want to pursue protection. And so the uh, rule of thumb is if you allow sort of $20,000 per country, um, on average, filing in sort of 10 different countries or some, something of that order, it's not going to be too far off. Wow. So really? that's, uh, that's a bit of an eye-opener. I think a lot of listeners will... Will go uh, will quietly shudder uh, at that uh, at that budget, but of course, yes, you know the last stage there, ten, yeah, uh, what we say, twenty k per country, was that right? So, um, yeah, you know, yeah, that's sorry, not, not and not just for filing that country, but for the whole for the process in that country, which can go for a few years from filing through to grant. Yeah, so if you're looking at some sort of SaaS model that has a global reach. Uh, let's face it. From what you're saying, you, you're probably looking at upwards of, of 250k uh, for uh, the full process from start to finish uh, for, for you know sort of global or mostly global protection. But of course, um, that's not every business or even most businesses. A lot of a lot of businesses are going to be more focused on the local market. I would imagine. Is that is that a fair comment? Uh, yeah, there's there's a there's a segment of businesses that are really just Australia focused. Typically, though. Clients will file in sort of what well, I generally call them the key jurisdictions. So Australia is a pilot market, then US, US, Europe, and China. They're yeah. sort of the US and China in particular are good value for money markets uh, because they're huge mm-hmm. in sort of population and um, as consumer markets. And uh, the filing cost is, uh, is pretty reasonable. And now, another word from our sponsor. Hi, it's Ben again from WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency. I mentioned earlier in the show how we've developed a buy now, pay later digital marketing solution for small businesses. If you want to grow but cash flow is holding you back, WebBuzz offers you a way to invest in marketing with no interest and nothing to pay for up to three months. It's a simple five-step process and here's how it works. Number one, book a video meeting with our team. Two, choose a digital marketing package. 
Three, apply online for funding. Four, get approved. Five, start your campaign with $0 to pay up front. You can use it for lead generation, content, branding, SEO, or social media campaigns. Our buy now, pay later digital marketing is just the thing you need to get sales flowing again. So get that life is good feeling back in your business. Go to webbuzz.com.au slash BNPL. That's webbuzz.com.au slash BNPL and download a free info pack to learn more. So the problem we set out to solve in this episode was the IP conundrum. When or even if to protect your business with patents and trademarks. As you can see, it's a very complex topic and we've heard a wide range of opinion from today's panel of nerds. Our product design expert, Carrie Peters, and our entrepreneur guest, Ben Thompson, provided the contrarian view on the value of IP protection. Emlyn Scott provided a lot of value with the VC perspective and we heard the practical effect from uh, Wei Xin at Sleep Phones. And of course... Chris Baxter was very generous with his technical knowledge of patents and trademarks. I hope their collective wisdom and insights have given you ideas to crack the code to growth in your own venture. For me, there are four important takeouts from this episode. Number one, IP protection is not for everyone. Registering a trademark is relatively easy, but patents are complicated and expensive. So consult widely before you take the plunge. Number two, File your patent early. If you have developed a truly innovative idea or technology, the filing date is all important. Number three, get your funding right. Although it's relatively cheap to start the patent process, the costs will escalate later, especially if you go global. So you need to be ready for that. And number four, invest in branding. As we heard from Wei Xin at Sleep Phones, a strong brand has been their best practical defense against imitators and cheap product knockoffs. As we heard at the top of the episode in the Facebook BlackBerry story, intellectual property protection can continue to pay dividends years later after any patents have been filed. If you're a tech startup or your business develops and markets innovative products, then IP protection should definitely be on your radar. For service-based ventures or the average small business though, trademark and unregistered IP such as trade secrets and know-how will be the most common form of intellectual property. So there is no single right answer to the IP conundrum, but it is clear you should take all reasonable steps to protect any competitive advantage you've worked hard to develop. Yes, that might deliver a higher sale price when you eventually go to exit the business. But it's the failure to act and the subsequent threat of financial loss that should really motivate you to take action. We're coming to the end, but before we go, it's time for our regular segment, Nerds Under Pressure, where a guest has to share one killer hack or tip they recommend for you, our listeners. Let's find out who our Nerd Under Pressure is today. Okay, Chris, well, we now come to a very famous segment of ours called Nerd Under Pressure. So this is Nerd Under Pressure. And uh, today, Chris, uh, you are the intellectual property, the IP nerd. And we're putting you under um, considerable pressure uh, with uh, this uh, question. We'd love an answer for what's one killer hack that you could recommend to startups 
or entrepreneurs for intellectual property protection and I'm going to give you five seconds thinking time. Okay, over to you. I'm going to tell you how to spend less money with your patent attorney. Oh, well, that's <laughs> very magnanimous of you. <laughs> so, uh, and, and that is by uh, scoping your idea properly. Okay. So uh, often in this sort of uh, enthusiasm and uh, passion that comes with uh, birthing a new baby, having a, having a new idea, um, uh, it, entrepreneurs uh, quickly call up the patent attorney and uh, rush to the office and, and start talking. And, uh, uh, th- you know, that, that's great. Uh, there's no uh, problem with that. Uh, but if you want to uh, manage your costs uh, more efficiently, what, uh, what I'd really suggest doing is scoping your idea uh, carefully from the start uh, at a breadth that's going to be most commercially useful for you. And what I mean by that uh, is not just thinking about the idea as you, as you see it landing in the market, but thinking about once your idea is in the market and once your patent's filed, how is a competitor, competitor going to try and get around that? How are they going to change your product? For example, might they uh, not include some features that you're thinking of, include, of including uh, to make it cheaper? It may not quite be as optimised, but it might be cheaper and the, the uh, mar- market might still be quite happy with it. So if you can sort of uh, scope your invention in a way that clearly defines what you think is new about the idea, the different uh, variations and uh, features that uh, you'd include in an optimal product, but also uh, what could be taken, sort of what could be taken out of your optimal product, but still be sort of an important concept or important product that you want the patent to cover. So if you can sort of do some of that preliminary scoping work to sort of make sure everything that is going to be um, covered in the patent application is clearly defined up front, you won't have any uh, change, scope changes during the uh, process and you'll get, a, you'll get a better cost, better quote from your patent attorney. So thanks for listening to episode 16 of the Nerd to Business podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please leave a review on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps us climb up the ranks and become more visible to other people just like you. Remember, we really want to help as many entrepreneurs and businesses as possible. If you've got a question or some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can engage with us at webbuzz.com.au forward slash nerds. That's webbuzz.com.au forward slash nerds. So feel free to reach out and say hello. I want to thank all of our guests and the team at WebBuzz for helping me put this show together. We'll be back in two weeks with our next episode, which is sourcing and manufacturing. How to build out a product supply chain for your new startup. Until then... I'm your host, Darren Moffat, and I look forward to nerding out with you next time. Bye for now.